Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the MSU WMA podcast. I'm your host, Josh Giannizelli, and today we're joined by Adam Palowski. Adam joined Telemus back in 2015 and is now a financial life advisor who holds a CFP designation as well as being a licensed insurance agent. Prior to joining Telemus, Adam worked multiple roles at Raymond James. He also obtained his bachelor's in business administration from the University of Michigan, Dearborn. Thanks for listening. All right, Adam. Well, thanks for coming on the pod. Appreciate you uh, making an appearance here. Thanks for having me. For sure. Happy to talk. Happy to talk about being a financial advisor to all the uh, MSU students. So, um, yes, it's fun for me. Yeah, have you. Um, so, I guess we'll just start uh, a little background on you, who you are, what you're doing, and uh, how you got to where you are now. Uh, yeah. So, uh, my name is Adam Pulaski. I'm a certified financial planner and financial life advisor at Telemus Capital, which is based out of Southfield, Michigan. Um, I went to University of Michigan, Dearborn for college, graduated in 2007, uh, and I've worn many a hats uh, in the financial advisory world. I actually uh, first started my career uh, right at college for Raymond James, uh, did a little bit of back office work there, working on transferring accounts, not a lot of client-facing activities. Uh, uh, did that for a few years before I said, this isn't for me. Uh, time for me to start talking to clients directly. And uh, so I moved on to a different area, still at Raymond James uh, in 2010, um, basically being a sales assistant. I supported uh, two different, uh, more seasoned advisors at that time. Um, and it was during that period that I got license, uh, got my Series 7 uh, license, so securities license, um, got my insurance license, and also got my uh, CFP, my Certified Financial Planner designation. Um, and that was, I guess, really at that point in time, when I realized this is going to be like the right fit for me, uh, really enjoyed working uh, with clients, whether it be on the phone or in person every day. Um, and yeah, that's kind of how my career started. Uh, I got where I'm at now, I actually started in 2015, uh, and now I'm working as an advisor to roughly 150 different households, uh, helping them make financial decisions and navigate life and figure out how to reach their financial goals. Okay. And so you mentioned uh, your, your goal is to help them navigate life. Uh, you guys have mentioned that you are financial life advisors. What is what does it mean to be a life advisor? How is this uh, built in your company and what makes you different? Yeah, um, so something that's a little bit different about the firm I work for now um, is that we try and give holistic advice. We're not just sitting here uh, making decisions on investments, trying to outperform the market. Uh, what we're really trying to do is get a better handle um, on what somebody wants out of their money. What, what are their... What are their goals? They want to travel. They want to, you know, take care of their kids' education. You know, are they trying to give money to a charity or an endowment? Like, you know, each of those different goals that someone has is is unique to them. Uh, it's understanding the what value money has uh, in their life. Um, 
and we use those to come up with a customized plan that works for them. Uh, again, we are an advisor, so we're trying to give you some kind of direction or guidance um, to reach those things. And that's where our clients see value in us is that um, we're helping shepherd them towards those goals. Do you find in general that people are more, uh, they need more help, not even on the investment side, but more just on managing money or what to do with it, how to um, work, work with their life and, and, and their money and not really set on certain returns that they're looking for? Yeah, uh, talking about performance is certainly one thing that we do, but a, a lot of people just generally have different backgrounds and different educations about about money. So um, it might be budgeting or we might have to start with some clients and determining how much money they're spending each month and how much they're taking in. Uh, it could be more complex and affordability, like, okay, I'm trying to buy a house, like how much house can I afford? How much house, how much money should I be spending each month uh, on a house? Um, it could also be just like understanding how money can grow and what inflation is and why we invest it all. Like what's the purpose of using investments instead of put money into the mattress. So um, part of my role is to educate my clients on what the different things that they can do with their money is, what different strategies are out there. Um, not just deciding what the best course of action is. It's kind of like the after effect. We got to give them an education of, what everything is out there and taking that understanding to the next level of, you know, where do we go from here? Nice. Nice. Um, and tell them us in general, they, on your website, you have what you call your eight communities of people that you work with. Um, do you have a specific one that you work with? If so, what, and how has that kind of helped build your business and what do you guys do differently there? Yeah, so we've taken segmentation and of clients a little bit differently. We understand that um, certain people and certain um, businesses have different needs. So if you're a, a doctor or a medical professional, um, there might be certain things that you need. Um, and we kind of tailor our investment advice to make sure we're asking the right questions. Uh, a lot of the investment process is me asking questions, not just me dictating and telling you what to do. So if you're someone who is a professional with like an advanced degree, um, we might be talking about things like um, disability insurance. You spend all this money on education, all this time. Um, you want to make sure that your income is protected. Um, so we know that there's certain uh, topics that need to be discussed. And uh, that's one of them, given on what community you're in. One of the communities that that I focus most on are kind of the young up and comers, the, the entrepreneurs. So a lot of times you'll find that an advisor is most concerned about how much money you have now, how much wealth have you built up? Because that's what they're managing. That's what they're, the investments they're looking at. But I know as well as many people know that it's democratic. Everybody needs financial advice. And the underserved community of those who are going to be affluent later, but don't have a lot now, um, they need some direction on, on what they should be doing with their money. And it might be paying down student loan debt. It might be, um, you know, creating like a base retirement plan or just generally like, how do I pick investments in my 401k? Um, so I like to serve those people because they're kind of like a sponge. They're like ready to listen to info and um, you're stop starting at the ground floor. So 
we're not dealing with a lot of mistakes in the past. We're we're starting at, at the start line and we're not uh, behind the ball. So um, that's kind of the community that I serve is, is kind of the young um, and growing, the, the, the future affluent uh, communities that um, I think are underserved in, in my industry. So in general, you're a relatively younger guy and you think that uh, in general, you, you want to keep these clients on for as, as long as you can. And by starting young, you want to keep them as long as you can instead of picking up a new client who's maybe 70 or 80 and you don't know exactly how much time you're going to have there. Yeah, I mean, I'll work with anybody, but I just feel like th that's a group that's a bit missed by other advisors. Um, certainly, it's my relationships with my clients. I want them to be lifelong. Um, I want them to enjoy working with me uh, and be with me for a very long time. Um, so if I start the relationship a little bit younger, then, you know, maybe they'll, uh, maybe I'll retire by the time that, <laughs> that they're ready to retire. Um, but in, in general, yes, I think that they're the clients that I can uh, connect very well with. And they're the ones I like work. Do you find it's easier for clients to, the younger clients will take advice better? Or do you think that just because they're starting younger and maybe know less that it's a bit of an easier relationship instead of kind of a little headbutting? depending on if you're older? Um, I don't, I wouldn't broad stroke it. I wouldn't say that that's how all they are, but I do think that yes, younger clients who are coming for advice are maybe a little bit more willing to, to listen because they might not be set in their ways. Um, there are some things that are difficult about working with our clients. So um, younger generation, maybe your generation, um, there is bits and pieces of financial knowledge that are everywhere. And, there, it's not to say that it's all wrong, but it might not be applicable to all situations. So you've got the internet, you can Google and search anything you want. You've got social media, you've got TikTok telling you that you should be doing this or doing that, creating passive income. You should be investing in crypto. There's, there's all kinds of things that are being kind of shoved in your face uh, from an investment standpoint. Um, so when I'm working with younger clients, I might have to answer some questions about why this is or isn't a great idea. And we haven't necessarily gone through the whole um, cycle of ups and downs uh, with all of these different types of investments. Um, we've certainly seen crypto come up from nothing to very high to now back down again and back up. So there's a lot of volatility there. And I think that's where there's deeper education and experience that can come into play and guidance can be used. So, but it is difficult with the amount of information to understand it all and digest and know who's telling the truth and who's right and who's wrong and under what situation. So um, understanding that that information is coming to you guys uh, and knowing it needs to be discussed and it needs to be talked about um, is important. It's not just to brush it off and say, don't worry with that. That's garbage. Like, no, there's a conversation that can be had around that. And I'm happy to have that with my clients. Do you think this is a, is this a newer phenomenon for you about people bringing up topics like this? Or um, it's just this, maybe since COVID, I know that boosted a lot of things with people getting into investments and um, maybe that's just a newer topic. Yeah, I think through COVID, it was kind of exciting to invest and people had a lot of time to, to look over it. A lot of things made money through COVID. Um, so a lot of these conversations happen, but I don't think, although the topics might be new, uh, I don't think that's unique to investing. 
Um, people are talking about whether it be CDs or inflation-linked bonds or any number of different types of you know, real estate investment trusts. There's always been something out there that's new and exciting um, that people want to talk about, which is great because if people are excited, they're engaged and they're willing to talk about their investments. Um, but a lot of these things, you have to be careful. So understanding what it is that you're buying, what happens when things don't go, as they've been said, like that's that's where I come into play and I can help. Speaking of new and exciting things, have you, has a frequent discussion been AI in general? And is that something that clients are interested in or maybe not really either on the investment side or just on how you do your business? Yeah, artificial intelligence has definitely been a you know topic of the year here, um, because there's there's kind of this unknown of how much it can grow. Every time that we uh, start a new potential cycle of of growth in the unknown, people get excited. So when we had the dot com revolution in the early two thousand, people were excited to buy all these different websites, and the internet was brand new. So um, it seemed like, hey, let's get in early and then we'll make a bunch of money. Well, some people made a bunch of money, some people didn't. Um, same thing uh, has happened you know, with smartphones and the growth of smartphones. And now we've had semiconductors and chips and um, we've got electric vehicles. So um, there's te technology itself is always got this kind of unknown thing of how far it's gonna go. Um, and so people get excited about that. And that's definitely been something that's been a hot topic of 2022 and 2023 special. Yeah. And a lot of us as students will either people are using chat GPT or we're hearing about all these things in general um, and, and learning about we're all going to be going in the workforce here soon and, and how that affects our lives. And a lot that you've talked about in our discussions have been about how you're, you're on this uh, idea as a, as a life advisor and you're more than just somebody who's dealing with the investments, you're kind of there to help coach these people through. And that's not really something that artificial intelligence in general can can do as well. How do you think that, how do you think the industry either stays the same or changes throughout this because of it? Yeah, I think even industries as old as ours uh, is, things change and you need to be able to adapt and use technology. Um, you know, before I was in the business, if you took an order from somebody to buy a stock, you had to write it down on a piece of paper. Um, and that just doesn't happen. We use computers for, for that stuff now. Um, money's moving in real time. You can track multiple indexes. You can see, you know, on anybody who has a computer or phone can track stocks. So you need to be able to adapt with the technology that's out there. What things are, what type of adaptations you make? I, I don't know what artificial intelligence or chat. I don't know how those tools are going to affect my job, but I need to be ready for it. Um, and I, I think if you're not ready for it, then you're going to get passed by. Um, so that kind of goes into, we were talking a bit about the students and getting into the workforce. What kind of things are you seeing coming up and what, what would you advise for students uh, as we're finishing our education and potentially going into and uh, wealth advisory or somewhere along that platform. Yeah, so wealth management specifically is a very multifaceted uh, industry. You need to know a lot about a lot of different areas. 
Um, you don't need to be a specialist in all areas necessarily, but um, I do think it's important to have a good background uh, kind of a, across the board. What's exciting about this industry and why I've been in for so long is you are always learning something. Um, you're not going to be able to just stop and say, hey, I know it all. I don't have to study anymore. I don't have to do any continuing education. Like there's always an area that you can learn more about. Um, and that makes it fun for me. Um, getting my CFP was very influential in me being able to work where I want to work and showing that I had a good, solid knowledge base. So I do recommend to anybody who's thinking about being in the industry is to maybe figure out where, where you might want to work and figure out what designations or what other education outside of just um, your undergrad degree uh, might be applicable to that. So it might be uh, a CFA, it might be a CFP, um, it might be, you know, an insurance background. There's a lot of different designations out there um, and kind of researching which one might fit the field that you want to end up in. Uh, I think that would be a good, my advice to, to a student is to seek that out. And you have your CFP. Could you maybe explain to the listeners a bit about what that is, why you got it, and kind of how maybe either what the test is like or how does that kind of change your um yeah so uh the cfp certified financial planner designation um is one of the top industry designations that basically is telling you that here's the things that you need in order to begin the financial planning process with a client um so you're engaging with the client you have a certain code of ethics to uphold um, you need to represent yourself as a fiduciary, which means that I treat your money like my own. Like I, I can't sell you a product if there's something that is equivalent, that is less expensive. I need to buy that for you. So um, those are some pieces. There's also insurance background. There is estate planning background. So it's a lot of different retirement plan, a lot of different layers to the process to make sure that when I'm helping, let's say you, Josh, the client, that I've got you completely like protected. We talked about all things that could affect you uh, and your financial goals. So it's really kind of the, the, the core piece to being able to be a financial advisor. And I think that anybody who wants to be in the industry should seek out that designation, who wants to be a financial advisor directly. Um, now the process, well, it's changed. So Previously, it was kind of like a self-study program. I did it through through Kaplan. And there's, I think, seven modules covering each of those different pieces I kind of talked about. You did course study. You took quizzes about a year long, maybe about a year and a half. Uh, and then you sit down for an exam. Um, and for me, I actually had an in-person exam. It was two days. I think it was maybe six hours over two days. And then I had to wait like six weeks for it. It's changed since then. Since then now it's um in online, like there you go to a testing center and you have your results same day, which is much nicer. Um, but for me, I had to have to do those. So it's, let's see, that was 2013, 2014 when I got it. So in the last 10 years, I'm happy that it changed to make it a little easier for you guys. But it's about a year long uh, course. Um, and it's, it's tough. It's, and it's, I think it's it's what separates someone off as a good at least a starting point, uh, someone who has true base knowledge as a financial advisor. Um, so, like I said, if if it's something that 
you think you want to go into. I know that uh, by being in the wealth management program at MSU, it gives you kind of leg up on the core areas that need to be studied and helps you sit for the test faster. Um, if you're thinking about doing it, do it as soon after, so you don't have this big gap. If you get the first two years, you might be so like spun out trying to follow what I'm supposed to be doing at work. It gets harder and harder to study the further and further you are out of school. So in general, you'd recommend to just get it done as quick as you can while you're kind of in the study mindset as a student, just get it. Yeah. Out. Yeah. Once you get out of practice a little bit, I think it gets very hard. So that would be a, a little piece of advice. <laughs> I'll give you. All right. Sounds good. Um, and then in general, I think um, a lot of students, some, some come from uh, a big education background, some just trying to get into the industry. Um, and a lot of us are getting internships and, um, looking at jobs coming out of college and don't really know the difference between all these different companies. A big difference is, uh, as you mentioned, uh, being a fiduciary, RIAs versus brokerage firms. Could you just go a little bit in depth on what that is? What's, what's the difference, big and small firms, just kind of some advice on that side? Yeah, yeah. So there are a bunch of different types of advisory firms. And one of the key separations is whether you are a RIA or a brokerage firm. Um, so RIA stands for registered investment advisor. Um, and the difference between one of the key differences between an RIA uh, and a brokerage firm is who is governing what they're doing. Um, so the SEC governs both, um, but FINRA is another regulatory body that is over brokerage firms. So a brokerage firm would be like a Morgan Stanley or a Merrill Lynch. Um, they have a different, as advisors, they have a different standard to their clients. Uh, and that standard is called the suitability standard. The suitability standard says, I have to test what your risk tolerance is and whatever investment I give you has to be suitable for your risk tolerance. Um, and a registered investment advisor, we have another layer, which is a fiduciary standard, which is treat your money like your own. So the example that I use uh, sometimes is uh, like if you are going to get a prescription, you might have the name brand prescription and the generic. And oftentimes the name brand is more expensive. So if you are at a suitability standard, like a brokerage firm is, I can sell you either the name brand or the generic. And if I sell you the name brand, then I might have higher compensation off of that. Or I might get to go on a trip because Pfizer's sending me on some trip uh, because I sold so much of XYZ product. Um, when you have a fiduciary standard, I have to give you the cheaper one. If the investment returns are essentially the same, if the outcomes are essentially the same, then I need to sell you the one, not the one that makes me the most money as the advisor, but the one that is more cost efficient for you, the client. Um, now, that's not to say that everybody who works at a Morgan Stanley Merrill Lynch doesn't also uphold a fiduciary standard, depending on the type of account, but generally, that is a different standard that they are forced to upheld by where they work. So where do you want to work? Well, I can't tell you what's going to be the best for you or what's going to be the right fit for you. There's different reasons to work for both. I think that what's more important is to figure out what type of company you want to work for. Do you want to work for a very large company or a small company. And as you take internships, as you have your first jobs, try and be aware of what some of those differences 
might be. So in a large company, I found that it was easier to kind of get lost in the shuffle. Um, your work isn't necessarily being recognized by the people who are highest up, um, but it is very structured where you can climb up and have certain levels and uh, know that if I do this, then I'll get to here. And if I spend this much time, I might get to there. Um, and you can kind of track. Um, they also are very good at training. So they know how to get somebody from each step. So they're going to invest a lot of money. They're very systematic, a large company is. Smaller company, less likely to be as systematic, but you might be able to get recognized because if there's only 20 people there, you might interact with all 20 people at that firm. Um, so I found for me that I thrived more in a smaller company so that everybody had recognition of what I was doing. All my efforts were kind of noticed. And in a larger company, I kind of got lost in the shuffle. What's going to be right for, for you and the other students? I, I don't know, but those are things that I would try and identify as you go into the workforce. All right. And in general, looking back, like, would you, would you say that you're glad you went on that path? Do you think that uh, you would have maybe enjoyed to start small and stay small? Or would you think that going big and then maybe going to a smaller firm later on in your career was helpful? Uh I don't think I would have changed my path. I think I got a good education on some different things and it helped me kind of learn and figure it out. So, you know, my dad worked for the same bank for over 30 years. Um, I don't think based on statistics that that's likely going to happen for, you know, it's not happening for my generation. It's not happening for your generation. So I think it's like an average of like four or five years or something like that when it, before somebody's switching jobs and you might be hopping from place to place. So every experience you have is a learning one. So just make sure that you're taking something from that and applying it to the next level. So, um, but I'm happy with the path that I went on. I think that it, it worked out for me. I'm happy where I'm at now. Okay, Adam. Uh, and then last question here uh, for us as students, as we're going into the workforce, um, what can we expect as the progression of an advisor? How do how do we get there? What What's it like? Um, and maybe a little bit on your path. Yeah. So, I mean, similar to like what my path is, I would expect that someone kind of, kind of coming out of college is either going to start um, there's a sales associate or an analyst. You're going to be working essentially under another advisor with some experience. Um, and your job might be running reports for clients, maybe creating some financial plans, um, doing some kind of back-end analysis, maybe college planning, a few different things um, for a lead advisor. And you know that, that advisor is essentially going to be like your mentor and show you how they work with clients, how they run meetings. Um, and there's a going to have a few years just kind of like learning how it's done before you're probably dealing with clients by yourself. Um, and when once you have your experience, once you've been doing it for a little bit, then you'll start to gain in some confidence and how to talk to clients and how to give them true advice and guidance. And from there, you'll figure out a way to to grow your own book. And that might be, you know, you may have to be cold calling, smile and dial, pick up the phone and and, and trying to reach out to people, maybe friends and family you start with. Um, you may do some other marketing issues. You may do um, seminars or maybe you hop on a podcast and talk to some students. I, there's there's many different ways to grow your book. Um, I think the tried and true way is to do good work for people and get referrals. That's certainly how I was able to grow my book is 
by earning the trust of somebody, uh, doing a good job, and them talking about what you do to other people. So um, I would say it's probably, you know, maybe a three to five year process before you're really moving up to, to doing your clients on your own. Um, but if you grind it out, if you keep keep with it, it's worth the end because this is, to me, the only career I ever want to work in. So it's it's exciting. It's new every day. I love my clients. Like this is, I'm not going to be doing else. I'm doing this until they kick me out of this chair. And do you find in general that most of your clients now do come from referrals or has the, the way you get new clients changed over time? Uh, majority is from referrals. Um, my clients uh, are usually my best referral source. Um, they've, they, once you have one type of client who you can serve and do a good job for, they will talk about you. And and if you're doing a good job, if you're not doing a good job, they'll talk about that too. Uh, but I, I find that replicating the clients I like to work with is best to get them from clients I'm already working with. All right. Sounds good. Well, thank you for coming on, Adam. We really appreciate you coming on and talking to us for a little bit here. And um, it's been a great conversation. Yeah, thanks for the time. Hope it was helpful and best of luck to to you and everyone else, all your students, anybody's listening to this podcast. Um, best of luck in your careers. If you enjoyed the discussion, please like and share the podcast on Apple and Spotify. The Spartan Journal Podcast is part of Michigan State University's Wealth Management Association, a student organization whose goal is to inspire the next generation of financial advisors. The Spartan Journal News Team releases a newsletter every Monday morning comprised of financial literacy and the week's market updates. Feel free to follow us on social media at MSUWMA and check out our website at MSUWMA.com. Anything heard on either the MSUWMA or Spartan Journal podcasts is for educational purposes only and should not be considered as investment advice.